Well, good morning, Covenant Network. Here we are on this Monday morning, April 25th. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright with you for the hour as always. It's good to be with you in this second week of Easter. There was a lot to celebrate this past weekend, and we are going to get to all of that and more on the show today. But first, let us begin our day in prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart, in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. And let us continue to pray the Regina Chaley in this Easter season. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. For he whom you did merit to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia, for the Lord has truly risen, alleluia. Let us pray, O God, who gave the joy to the world through the resurrection of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant we beseech thee that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it is so great to be with you, as always, on this Monday morning. We have a lot to get to on the show today. We are going to be talking with John Martinoni a little bit later on in the show about, well, it's Martinoni Monday. You know, that's the the best way to put it. We're going to talk about scriptures. We're going to talk about a particular scriptural error that, that some of our brothers and sisters fall into and how we know that that is an error and and what the correct way to look forward to that is. We're also going to be speaking with author Kennedy Hall about his new book, Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Catholic Masculinity. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And then we're going to hear some words from Father John Hollowell this morning as well, talking about Easter. Is it working? And that's, that's really a great question for us this morning. I'll let Father Hollowell cover all of that. But as I mentioned to you last week, this past Saturday, my middle child, my eight-year-old daughter, made her first Holy Communion. She received our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament for the first time. And what a joy that was for our family. And some things that just stick out from that Mass, uh, Father in his homily preaching about the miracle that was about to happen, that Jesus wants to be with us so much that he would even take on the simple appearance of a little wafer so that we could draw so close to him that we could consume him. And that there is a, he he talked about the power of the grace in that first Holy Communion, but then he addressed the parents. And he talked about how each time you receive Holy Communion, each time you receive our Lord in Holy Communion, how those graces build up and build up and build up. And reminding us that when we receive Holy Communion in that state of grace, It just keeps building up exponentially, more and more. Grace, 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 grace keeps pouring into our lives and into our hearts. And at the end of Mass, you know, there were actually three priests that celebrated, can celebrate the Mass. One preached, one was the principal celebrant. And uh, at the end of the Mass, the principal celebrant made some remarks, very brief remarks, bringing out the order of baptism. And he read to us parents. He had all of the parents stand up for a blessing. And he read to us the concluding prayer from the rite of baptism. And he said to us, 
this is what you promised some six or seven or eight years ago. And are you going to stick to that promise? Are you going to keep true to that promise? You know, you wouldn't let your child starve. You would feed them the dinner. You would feed them a very nice dinner every day if you could. You'd have the, you know, the, the grandest dinner for your children ever. Well, each week and each day at Holy Mass, our Lord comes to give us the greatest gift we could ever consume. Not the bread of the world, but the bread of life, his true body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the Blessed Sacrament. And we were talking about this last week on the Roadmap Roundup. How often do you and I, friends, approach to receive Holy Communion with that same fervor, that same desire, that same wanting that those children did this past weekend? And I know there were a lot of First Communions this past weekend. So how often do we approach with that fervor and with that desire? Like I said, we've got a lot to get to on the show today, and I'm kind of curious. Is the rain here again today? Is the rain moving out? I know the temperatures are supposed to be milder, but the one person who I know I can depend on to tell me the answers to these questions is Mike Roberts. So let's turn now to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather. Today is the feast day of St. Mark the Evangelist. His home was often the gathering place for the apostles, and among the four Gospels, Mark's is the oldest and most concise. But because he was not one of the original 12, we cannot be sure he actually knew Jesus. The hard work of evangelization could sometimes cause friction among Jesus' first servants, and this was the case with Paul and Mark. When he joined Paul and Paul's cousin Barnabas on their first missionary trip to Antioch, Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. It may be he simply missed his home. Frustrated, Paul refused to allow Mark to go on their second missionary trip to the churches of Cilicia and Asia Minor, questioning Mark's ability as a missionary. Whatever hard feelings may have existed, they did not last long because... When Paul is in prison, he asks Mark to come and visit him, and when Paul escapes from prison, it is to Mark's house that he goes. But Mark seems to have been closer to Peter, who in a letter to Asia Minor refers to him as his son. He is considered to be the first bishop of Alexandria, where he had great success growing the Christian community. But it was there he died a martyr after being beaten and dragged through the streets. He is the patron saint of Alexandria and Venice. St. Mark, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven on Covenant Network this Monday morning, April 25th. And we are now out of the octave of Easter officially. That concluded yesterday with Divine Mercy Sunday. But we are still in the Easter season. The joy isn't over. We still move forward celebrating. But, you know, I have to be honest. Sometimes in the in the Christmas season and in the Easter season, we celebrate the joy of the day and then time passes And if it weren't for that Paschal candle lit in the sanctuary throughout the entire Easter season, I'd almost start to forget that we're still celebrating the joy of Easter. And, you know, I I think back to a time that a a friend of mine was playing music for a mass and uh, someone was giving him a little bit of grief, said, you know, this, this hymn you picked was from the Easter section and it's not Easter. And he just said, no, 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 we're an Alleluia people. 
You know, we're an Easter people. Alleluia is our song, right? We've all heard that before. And that's the reality of it is that we are Easter people all year round. We celebrate the joy of the resurrection all year round. And sometimes we lose sight of that, but here with some words to encourage us on why we should not lose sight of that. How we know that Easter is working, we turn to Father John Hollowell. We have a catequiz question for you today. Today we have a multiple choice question. We've been talking about divine mercy. We've been talking about Easter. Uh, Last week we were talking about going to confession, um, all of these things. And one of the things we say often on the show is, especially when you go to confession, confess all mortal sins by kind and number. So if you have one on three occasions, you would say, I have the mortal sin of on three occasions, four occasions, whatever it may be, and make that the priority in your confession. But what are the conditions for a mortal sin to be mortal? You know, this is a good refresher for us from time to time. So I'm going to give you multiple choice, and you have to tell me which of these is not one of the conditions for a sin to be mortal. Which of these is not a condition for the sin to be mortal? The matter must be grave. You must have full knowledge. You must give full consent. And you must not have outside influence. The matter must be grave. You must have full knowledge. You must give full consent. And the matter must not have outside influence. Which of those is not a condition for a sin to be mortal? Uh, It's number four. You must not have outside influence. Whether you're influenced by others or not, if you know it's grave matter, you have full knowledge of that, and it is indeed actually grave matter, and you still give consent and commit the sin, it's a mortal sin, you are out of a state of grace, but the good news we heard from Father Hollowell, the good news that was spread all across the church this past weekend, is that our Lord's mercy is waiting for you. It's He, he is waiting for you in the confessional. So if you're in a state of mortal sin, you know, I encourage you, get to confession as soon as is reasonably possible. Don't carry that burden around. Don't carry it around. There, there's too much joy and, and grace, and we all want to go to heaven. So don't carry the burden. Get back in a state of sanctifying grace so you can get to heaven. We are going to take a break here, celebrate a little bit of the joy of Easter still on this Monday of the second week of Easter. When we come back, we'll be talking with Kennedy Hall. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. A book has come across my desk recently called Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity by Kennedy Hall. The book's available through Tan Books. And I have to tell you, whenever a book comes out with a title like that, it's enough that it will catch my eye. And I'll say, all right, well, I'll take a look through that. We're very happy to have with us today, joining by phone, the author of Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity, Kennedy Hall. Kennedy, good to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Thanks for having me on. So the book is, I'm assuming, a book you wrote for men. But tell us a little bit about this. How did this come about? What led to the writing of this book? Who's it for? And why do you think it's important? Sure, yeah. So I'm a a revert. You know, I was lukewarm, sort of nothing Catholic home growing up. uh, Unfortunate Catholic education, as is the case for many. So you know, when I found the faith in my, in a, in a radical way in my mid-20s, as I found out that we were having our first child and recently married and stuff, 
I had no idea what to do. I didn't know how to be a man in the, in the way that you need to be a man. I didn't know any of these things. So I uh, embarked on a process of learning and, and discovery and, and sort of found all these amazing resources, whether it was lectures on YouTube or books or, you know, writings from saints and so on and so forth. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if instead of spending three years trying to find all these things, I could just give somebody a book with all the things in it. <laughs> and um, that's basically what I did. It was, uh, it was half personal project for myself and half project for other people to enjoy it. And I uh, had no idea what was going to happen with it. I self-published it first in May of 2020, and then it sort of took off and then Tan picked it up, and now it's taken off again. So it, it filled a need, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm certainly right there with you that uh, trying to navigate this world and, and really asking that question, what does it mean to be a man? Uh, I, I know the year of St. Joseph was a great point of reflection for me throughout that entire year. What does it mean to be a Catholic man? Well, let's look first at the image of St. Joseph, our, our patron saint, uh, the original protector of the church by protecting the Holy Family and now the protector of the church. And as your book says, the, the terror of demons. It's one of my favorite titles for him. And I often think of, you know, that that idea that the demons even fear St. Joseph when he's sleeping. And am I living my life in such a way that I am receiving such a, a huge amount of grace from God that I would be a cause for fear for demons when I'm sleeping? And sadly, the answer is probably not. I, I think I'll probably pale in comparison to St. Joseph. But that doesn't mean I don't strive to live like St. Joseph. So, Kennedy, you give us lots of great areas of in the book here that we should be looking at in our lives. One of the ones that really jumps out to me, it's something that I know my wife and I are very conscious of as we try to raise um, our son and our four daughters, and that is media. And you have a ch- chapter in the book titled Media Matters. Um, you start out with the the fact the average person spends a considerable amount of time in front of the screen in today's world. And why do you address this in the book? Why do you think screen time is such an important thing for us to take note of in our lives? Sure, yeah. So there's nothing wrong with screens. I have two monitors on my desk. I'm a journalist, so I definitely spend a lot of time typing and stuff. And you know, in, in the past, it obviously would have been a typewriter or a piece of paper, so that's not the problem. The problem is that what screens can transmit to us is obviously much more involved. So it can be, uh, you know, not just pornography, but it can also just be stuff that is really addicting and wastes our time. So I know personally, you know, sometimes I'll be sitting there thinking I'm doing something for work and it's like 10 at night, my kids are down, I'm checking something from my YouTube channel or something and and 20 minutes go by and then I'm like, oh, I got to say my evening prayers. I mean, they only take five minutes, but I could have said them already, (laughs) you know. And then also with children, it's not enough to just not have explicit material in your home. Children can pick up an Apple TV remote or a Chromecast thing or turn on the cable or whatever. And sure, you have parental sensors. So yeah, they're not going to see any hardcore graphics. But, you know, a show comes on. It's got two dads or something like that, right? Because that's not listed as explicit content by the filters. So it can't just be that you have the basic protections. You actually have to be extremely conscious about all of the content coming into your home. It's easy enough to do with books because you can at least vet the books and have the ones on the shelves. But when it comes to screens, you know, I know parents will just debate on what the appropriate age is for screens. Whatever you decide is up to you. But if you do hand a kid a screen, for example, and it's not properly vetted, you don't have insane filters and all that sort of thing, it is like handing a kid like a mortal sin machine. 
there is a reality that with one click, they could be into some pretty dark waters um, without you even knowing about it. So it's just, it's beyond pornography. It's just, the, it's just the basic content that we have, which is so important. Yeah, I know that's something that's very important for us. We have a rule that if you're using a screen, it's in a public place in our house, and we're going to be around. And, you know, we are at that age that our children are starting to use technology for school, and they have some school-issued devices. But as part of that agreement that to say, hey, I know you have to do your homework on this Chromebook, but when you use the Chromebook, I'm going to be in the room with you so I can make sure you're not going down some rabbit hole on a YouTube channel or something that's taking you to a place that you should not be. I am going to check your browser history, and if you don't like that, then here's the reality. You don't even have to use the technology in this house. Use it at yeah. school on the school project where the teacher is doing the exact same thing, and I, I'm very grateful for our teachers that they are actually real-time watching what's on each of the students' screens. But it's one of those things, like, why would I just... Un, without thinking, hand this over to my kid and say, well, don't get into any trouble there. I, I remember a, a recent guest we had on the show saying, if, if all these things are free, these games, these apps, the product is you. The pro- they're trying to sell you, and the game or the app might be very innocuous, but what's in the advertisements even? It's not just the shows we watch, but but the advertisements. Now, Kennedy, uh, one of the things I love is the image you leave us with towards the end of the book. You start talking about William Wallace and and following a brave heart. And all right, you know, you're speaking to the men here, and it, it's such a great thing. This is a time, isn't it, for us to be very, you know, I, I, I'm going to sound a little overdramatic, but really for us as men to step up to the plate and say, in a world so full of confusion about what the identity of a man means, who a man really is, and, and thinking back to our model, St. Joseph, we need to step up and be real men. So for the men listening today, if, if you could boil this down to maybe one piece of advice that you're going to start here today, what would you say yeah. to those men? One piece to start here. Um, well, the first thing I would do, uh, besides saying maybe pick up the book and it has lots of advice in it, is um, start fasting. I always tell men that's the first thing you have to do. Start fasting. You know, um, lots of ways to do it. But I would say make fasting a part of your regime the whole year in some way. Uh, all men in the past fasted by default. There was no such thing as snacking that's like 50 years old. There was no 7-Eleven. There was no drive through that's the one appetite that you can always be in control of. You can't be in control of what you're going to see on billboards. You can't be in control of the way women dress walking down the road or you know, those sorts of things. You can't be in control of blasphemy on a magazine or something. But you can be in control of your appetites of the food you put in your mouth, and you always can. Um, so I would say adopt fasting as a weekly penance in some capacity. All right. I think that is a wonderful place to start and a good reminder for all of us that maybe have started to Keep it going, especially in the Easter season and beyond. Again, the book is Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity by Kennedy Hall, and it's available through Tan Books, so you can check out tanbooks.com. Kennedy, I want to thank you for being with us this morning. And friends, don't go anywhere. We've got more Roadmap to Heaven after this. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and once again, it's time to visit with John Martinoni, president and founder of the Bible Christian Society, to talk about common misconceptions out there in the world about sacred scripture. And one of the our favorite saints is going to appear in today's lesson, that's St. Joseph. 
He's one of my favorites. And, and John, there's a passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, that draws a lot of attention out there in the world, and it's about the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Mother. It says, Joseph knew her not until she had born a son. So what's going on here, John? All right. Well, Adam, let me tell you this. Every day when I leave my house in the morning, I say a little prayer to God. I say, God... And, and I'm always the first one in my family to leave the house. I say, God, please watch over my family until I get back. Now, does that mean that I want God to watch over them until I get back? And then once I get back, he doesn't have to watch over them anymore? You know, that I'm good, God. I've got it now. You know, you can go, you can go look after somebody else's family. No, it just means I'm asking God for a special emphasis in watching over my family while I, the husband and the father, am not there to protect them should any, any bad thing arise in any way, shape, or form. So, the, and the point is, the word until doesn't necessarily mean, well, up until point A, this happened, and then after point A, something changed. It doesn't necessarily imply change. It can, but it's used both ways, and it's used both ways in the Bible. For example, in Acts chapter 8, verse 40 and, and around there, we've got the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip comes up to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch is in his chariot, and he, he's come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and he's heading back to Ethiopia, and he's reading Scripture, and Philip comes up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, uh, how can I unless someone guides me? So Philip gets up, explains it to him, and then they go on, and Philip ends up baptizing the eunuch, and then Philip just kind of disappears. And then it says, in the, in the passage, it says, Philip went on to these other towns, and he preached the gospel until he came to Caesarea. So if we use the same interpretative uh, principle as many Protestants use for, for Matthew one twenty five, then basically you have to conclude that Philip, once he got to Caesarea, he never, ever again preached the gospel. Ever! Yeah, that was because, nice. I think I'm done here. Hey, we, we won't preach anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, I got to Caesarea. I'm done. I'm good. I've, I've done my part. I can go, you know, sit on the couch and, and, and just take it easy from now on. Also, we've got from the Old Testament. Here's one that, you know, 2 Samuel 6, what is uh, around verse 23. It's talking about Saul's daughter. Her name is, is Michael, okay? And it says in, in 2 Samuel 6, 23, it says, Michael had no child until the day of her death. So that means then after the day of her death, she had a baby, you know, at some point. You know, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, it, it's just the word until does not necessarily imply a change. What's going on in Matthew one twenty five? Well, right before there in, in Matthew 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. In verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that a virgin shall bear a son. So the whole point of Matthew one twenty-five is that Matthew is 
emphasizing that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's why he says Joseph knew her not until she had born a son. He is focusing solely on the period of time before Jesus was born, and basically saying Mary had no relations with man before then. And it's not implying anything about what happened between Joseph and Mary afterwards. Because, I mean, think about that. How, how rude would it be for Matthew to basically say, well, had no relations with her until Jesus was born, but then after that, then they, of course, had marital... Re- I mean, really? We're going to talk about that, about Jesus' mother here in Scripture? No, that's not going to happen. So again, the whole focus of Matthew's commentary in those few verses in that passage of Scripture at the end of chapter 1 of his Gospel is to focus on the virgin birth and to emphasize the virgin birth. It's not talking about anything that happened between Joseph and Mary after the virgin birth. And, and here's the thing a lot of Protestants don't realize is that Martin Luther believed Mary was a virgin her entire life, that uh, John Calvin believed Mary was a perpetual virgin. So again, the word until, as the Bible itself shows us, does not necessarily imply a change of something happening up to a certain point, and then it changes after that point. It could just be it's talking about what happened before that point and making no inference, giving no implication as to what happened after. Friends, I can say with absolute certainty, in the period beginning on January 1st, 2022, until today, I have not had Brussels sprouts. Now, you can infer from that what might happen in the period after this moment, but that's the point John's making, is that just because... The period ends today doesn't mean that I'm going to go eat Brussels sprouts right after the show concludes. So there you have it. That's uh, another great lesson for us. For more information on the scriptures and lessons like this, be sure to visit BibleChristianSociety.com and check out the good work that John Martinoni is doing there. John, thanks again for being with us today. My pleasure, Adam. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We will be back right after this. It's time for a daily dose of encouragement on this Monday. And, Patty, after last week's Easter joy, I don't know how it can get any better, but here's the beauty of our faith. I know it will and that we have a lot more to look forward to. So what do we have to look forward to this week in the Daily Dose of Encouragement? Well, yesterday we just celebrated the beautiful feast of Divine Mercy Sunday. And so this week I want to talk about the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I hope that our listeners are praying it, and I want to encourage us all to do that. So I thought I would just talk about ways to pray it and and how it's been influential in my life and the joy of praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day. For me, it's part of it's one of my anchors of my prayer life. So how do I pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Well, there are five decades, so I pray one for my son, one for my daughter, one for my other son, one for Larry and me, and then the last one I pray for priests and religious. But each of the beads that I do, I'm actually praying for a virtue for each one of them. The first bead of each decade for me is for the holiness. So let's say I'm praying this particular decade for my son, Father John. First bead will be for his holiness. 
for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Second is going to be for his safety and protection from all evil. I pray for everything, accident, injury, uh, violence, for any sickness, illness. I pray for that, on that bead, for that uh, intention. The third, fourth, and fifth beads, I pray for faith, hope, and love. An increase of faith, an increase of hope, and of course, an increase of love. To love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Then the next three, I pray for purity, patience, and wise, prudent decisions. That my son, my daughter, my other son, again, whoever I'm praying for, the virtue of purity, patience, wise, prudent decisions. And then the last two, I pray for a spirit of poverty, generosity, tithing, and to be detached from materialism. That's one of the beads. And then the last one is the virtue of temperance, whether it's in food or drink or attachment to things. Just that that virtue of temperance is so important to know what's right and wrong, to know what to do. So I pray for virtues with my chaplet of divine mercy for people that I love every single day. My kids know that they're covered when I'm praying my chaplet. I just throw that out. And maybe today we ask each other, well, how do you pray the chaplet of divine mercy? Are you just mumbling the words or do you have intentions with each of those beads? And there are, of course, many, many ways to pray it. But I just wanted to share how I do. That's a great way to give us focus in our prayer as we pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Patty, thank you so much for this daily dose of encouragement. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and I was just looking at some reminders here while we were getting our daily dose of encouragement from Patty. And I I had this one pop across my screen that said, remember to take care of yourself too. You cannot pour from an empty cup. And this is a a note that I had shared back in April of 2020. You know, it was a little bit different time back then. Um, I was just thinking about that the other day, actually. But when we talk about daily prayer, let, let me get straight to the point. When we talk about daily prayer, if you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you are a caregiver, if you are a boss, if you are a supervisor, if you are a manager, if you are anybody in a leadership role, if you are anybody in a support role, whether it's in your home vocation, in your professional vocation, wherever it may be, one of the reasons we talk about, there are so many reasons we talk about this, but one of the reasons we talk about why prayer is so important every day is that you cannot pour from an empty cup. How can you be that witness to Christ's love to the world if you don't have that within you? And so take time today to nourish that. As we pray for so many people who need our prayers, we need to do that. But let us also remember Ourselves, too. You know, I, and I laugh because recently I, I did a broadcast and Gabe Jones, who's on the, the Roadmap Roundup panel periodically, uh, texted me. He caught an error that I said on the broadcast, and he said, and please remember us in our prayers. And we had a good laugh because I meant to say, please remember us in your prayers. But we, Gabe and I were talking about it, and I thought, what a great reminder that is, that we also need to remember us in our prayers. And so today... As the reminder was for me, take care of yourself too. What does that mean? Spend some time with our Lord today in prayer. And then share what you receive. Share what you receive 
with others. Uh, Wednesday, exciting day on the show. Wednesday, we're going to be talking with Father Don Calloway. He's going to be one of the speakers at this year's St. Louis Marion Conference, May 13th through 15th. And it is a wonderful conference. It's at the... uh, Renaissance St. Louis Airport Hotel, right by Lambert St. Louis Airport. So easy to get to. Father Don Calloway, Father Stephen Imbarato, Father Wade Menezes, who is on the show quite frequently. He's going to be on soon, too. Father Charles Becker, Sister Deidre Byrne, John Carpenter, Monsignor Eugene Morris, who doesn't who doesn't love Monsignor Eugene Morris? I, I love him. Uh, Matthew Bowdy and Annie Cardo are doing music. They are both wonderful musicians. With It's going to be beautiful. It's really going to be beautiful. Uh, for more information on the St. Louis Marian Conference, please visit stlmc.org. That's S-T-L-M, as in Mary, C.org. And I hope, you know, I'll, if, if you're there, I'll see you there. I'll just put it that way. I'll put it that way. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Special thanks to Kennedy Hall and John Martinoni for being with us on the show today. Uh, and for Father Hollowell for allowing us to share his words. Please pray for Father Hollowell as well. It's always good to pray for our priests. Until Wednesday, when we have Father Don Calloway on, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. For all of us here at Covenant Network, thank you and pray your rosary today. <laughs>